Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, everyone. Before we jump in, I just want to warn you that today's episode contains content and stories that may be alarming to some listeners. So please check the show notes for more detailed descriptions. Thanks so much. Coming up on Man Enough. One of the reasons why I was drawn to play the abuser mm-hmm. in It Ends With Us, because I wanted to understand. And there was also, I think, some healing in there for me, having been in an abusive relationship. Mm-hmm. How do the men who had trauma in their life protect themselves from accidentally becoming their fathers. Let's start talking to men first about relationships. Starting to talk to men not as if they were perpetrators of abuse, just as a normal guy who's trying to figure out life. Being man enough, what does that mean? It's really manly to mess up, admit you're wrong, and then grow. I couldn't accept that I was evil. So maybe I'm broken, but those broken things could be corrected. Intimacy between a father and a son is me just wanting to like put my head in your lap. I love you, son. You haven't called me a benevolent sexist, but my experience is women are better. Even if it's a positive, it's still not equality. I don't blame men for that. I just blame the system. This is Man Enough. Hey everyone, welcome to Man Enough, yes. a podcast that we've been doing for a little bit. How long have we been doing it, Liz? Two and a half. Wow. Already. Finishing Years. our second Years. season. Years, yeah. yeah. And we're just about finishing our second season. Mm-hmm. Which we're about feels, to hit 100 episodes. We are about to hit 100 episodes. Hey, real quick, before we talk about how amazing our special guests yeah. are today. The other night, Jamie had a really cool experience where he walked into his own home and his wife had a few women there okay. that she was in a workshop with. Right. And he walked in to his own home and his Jamie voice said, Hey, baby, I'm home. <laughs> so my like wife? That. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Whatever you just said, like, hey, <laughs> hey, baby. Hey. You know, I didn't sound anything whatever like that. It's kind of okay. a good hey, imitation. Hey, hey, I'm home. Uh, <laughs> and one of the two women were like, wait, I know that voice. And he walks in. And Jamie finally got his oh my moment because you know how finally, we talked about says, how you know all the fans didn't want a picture with him even though they knew him and here he walks into his own home, mind you, and a woman he does not know who's friends with his wife is starstruck. Oh, first says, wait, all, Jamie Heath. <laughs> for the wait person a listening to the podcast who's gonna who <laughs> listens to us. <laughs> I didn't give him this version at all. You're just putting your acting. Yeah, you, no, you gave me the, no, the, the the humble pie version. This is really the big, the, the what we should glean from this, was that my wife's a part of a group of women who are trying to help mothers in their fourth trimester mm. throughout their pregnancy, of course, but how are we showing up for women in the fourth trimester? She's like, her all of her work and her life is involved yeah. in this. So in this workshop, she invited a couple people to stay with her that are coming from out of town. What was sweet about this was that in this world of women who care so much that our podcast and some of the stuff that we do, I saw firsthand how it was affecting her and how she's used that for her life and how she had said that she listens to it and how meaningful it is 
that we as a group, Justin, you who started this, how meaningful it has been. So mm. when we see those things reflected back to us, of course, there's a little bit of fun with it. The fact that, oh my gosh, someone was in my house and finally knew who I was and not Justin. But that's just more to have fun with it. The big picture to take from it was the work that we're doing yeah. has some impact in, yeah. in, in, in some sweet areas and it's encouraging as we move forward. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, the work that we're doing has such a big impact that I had a dream last night about one of our guests. You did. I did. Travis Van Winkle. I literally dreamt that I was like, Travis was my boyfriend. Oh. Like I had a full, our crew is gasping. <laughs> oh, we are taking this I clip. dreamt that like it had been years and we were just, I was like, and then in my dream, I was like, oh, right. He's my boyfriend. What's great about this for those who did not listen to the episode, Travis was a guest and we yeah. had a joke. That we were we joking. Were joking the that whole, we were yes. setting them up because they're both single. So this is fantastic. It's Many so a true funny. word is said in jest, said Shakespeare. Even in the dreams. Anyway. Anyways. I, okay. So, well, so sweet. A lot, a lot is happening. What are we yeah. doing today and how lucky are we to be doing it? So lucky. This is a really cool day. For Wayfair Studios, for Man Enough. Mm -hmm. uh, hey, Liz, why don't you tell uh, tell our audience who's yes. here with us today? Today, we are so excited to welcome Jane Randall and Pamela Zabala, who are respectively the co-founder and the CEO of No More. No More is an incredible domestic violence and sexual assault awareness campaign that works to end intimate partner violence by empowering survivors, educating communities, and advocating for policy changes in the entire world. So thank you so much much for being uh, with us today. Thank you for having us. We're thrilled. For our listeners, um, No More has been an, an incredible partner for me in developing the book that ends with us into a movie. This is a really cool to have you on. Jane, we've known each other for, so my son's about to turn six. No way. And he was 10 days old when we met. I remember. We met at TED Women. Yeah. She well, was in the audience. Yep. And then you told me what you did and then we became friends. Yep. And then through there, our, our mutual love of our friends and friends of the podcast, Tony Porter and Ted Bunch at a call to men. Right. Because you work very closely with them. Yep. And then you introduced me to your wonderful CEO, Pamela. And now it's a big love fest. Oh my it God. It is. Such Be a love fest. Because we've formed the first of its kind, I believe, a partnership between a movie studio and a organization such as yourself so that we can actually make a bigger impact together. And we're so grateful for all the ways that you both have showed up for me individually and as a creator and as a director, but also all the cool things we're going to be doing as a studio together and with Man Enough. Mm -hmm. So I can't wait for the partnership and also to dig into what you guys do because it's such important, beautiful work. Mm -hmm. It was exciting coming here today and seeing a lot of people that I've just met online, but we've had multiple conversations about life and death and just seeing them in the flesh and hugging and the love for No More that they have. Absolutely amazing. And as an organization that works in the culture, because when we started No More, we really wanted to change culture and use things like film and sports and music and really talk to people who weren't normally talking about these issues. So to have an opportunity like this is a dream come true. Mm. We're focused on preventing gender-based violence and globally. But one of the big things that we do, I think, is really use media in all its ways to try to influence culture. If I had to kind of sum it up, it's, it could be by, you know, providing organizations around the world with the material that they want and they need to get the message out there or to form partnerships like this, because stories around domestic violence, sexual assault need to be told 
I think, you know, if we get to see things more in the screen, then it relates, right? One of the issues with uh, domestic violence is it's secret. People like to keep it secret because you don't like to show that vulnerable side of you. Mm. And when you see it in the screen and you can relate to that character, to how they felt in that moment, or to the fact that there's other people suffering like you've suffered, that's just amazing. That's even a catalyst for people to say, you know what? I want to tell my story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're right. This is the moment. I'm ready. Right. This happened to me. And sometimes people come and say to you, it's happening to me right now with my husband, or maybe it's happened to me 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And now is my moment to tell it just because they saw this representation in screen. So I think what you guys have here is fantastic. Well, and those moments are what, to your point, generate big responses. We saw it with high pro- any high-profile case, and you're going to see it when the movie comes out, that it's going to make people want to step forward, want to tell their stories, like you're saying, also reaching bystanders, right? People who aren't necessarily dealing with the issue but may know someone or who may just want to be involved because they know it's really important. So that's the beauty of, of, of media and culture mm. change because you have these big moments. I think that's one of the reasons why I wanted to make it ends with us mm-hmm. and why we came to you um, of all organizations because of your work and how you're focused on the cultural impact. We can start to have these conversations in public, to have these kind of peak social moments and so that so many people can recognize that maybe they're on one end of the spectrum or the other and then and then create a container and a net so that we can find a place for them to go. Mm-hmm. It was great to work with you a lot on the revision of the text and coming back and forth. And I have to say the level of care that you had was just amazing in terms of the character and how they were actually being put forward. And you allowed us to to have the freedom to look at the script and revise the script and give you no, I mean, not, but give you notes on revisions and make sure that things come across the best way possible while being true to the story. One thing, um, as I was preparing f- to play the role of Ryle, I really wanted to, to understand mm. what it was like to be an abuser. Because mm. I've only been on the other end. Mm-hmm. And I reached out to Pamela and Jane. You were really concerned about portraying this character in a way that was truthful. Mm-hmm. And I think th- there was a point where we couldn't give you more assurance right. that right. the script was tight <laughs> enough. It was never um, enough. Yeah. It's just like me. It's just okay, like so me. look, I'm going to show you my shirt because I haven't shown you. Oh, Aww. did you wear that for me? Thank I did. You. What is it? Wait, that's a dumb you shirt. Know. Wow. Oh, this is that's from one it. of our board members. Surely. I feel like yes. that should. Be, we. I feel she like that should them. be man enough swag. Yeah, it's like we should yeah. have. Bedazzled we should have shirt swag. bedazzled I'll swag. I'll put you in touch. Sure. Jamie and I had a lot of conversations around this. There was a lot of um, feedback um, in certain communities around mm-hmm. the book as it was, and part of why we're so grateful for the partnership with the entire company, um, not just for this movie, was for your insight. Because you have a very specific insight on how things can become more accurate and true and real. Um, And we at Wayfair don't ever want to do harm. That level of joint work is not common. I don't know if you know that or how much you know that, because we've consulted on, you know, other shows and usually you get all the way to, you know, they're already filming. And you're talking to the director. So there's nothing really that you can mm. influence too much. But this was kind of a, there was a lot of co-creation mm-hmm. in that script to make it what, you know, it's turned out to be. Right. So we're really excited. And very, very glad that Wayfarers who took it up. 
because it could have gotten really destroyed in somebody else's hands. Wave has a tall mission, and we're going to stumble. We're going to mess up all the time. Mm-hmm. That's okay. People mess up. But you have to have a mark that you're you're reaching for, right? You put your sights on something, you reflect each day, you make some refinement, and we would not be able to do those things if we not collaborate with people who know more than us in certain areas yep. uh, and consult. So you guys have been an incredible resource, and uh, we want to be what we say we are, and that's one of the ways we can do it. I think that even speaks to just as humans. You know, we're on a show called Man Enough right, right now. Right, Talking about what it means to be man enough. And, you know, one of the reasons why I wanted to make It Ends With Us so bad, long before it was a cultural phenomenon, you know, we at Wayfair Studios were planning to make this movie was for this reason, because to create a cultural moment that could potentially save and impact millions of lives. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't just the women right. that I was thinking about. Mm. Yep. Mm. Uh, I was thinking about the men, too, mm. because I... I still believe in my heart that men are inherently intrinsically good as I write in man. And I do not believe that most men um, want to be abusers. And most aren't. And And most most aren't. aren't. And I even believe that men who are abusers or who have abused, let's talk about the the pendulum, like Mm -hmm. the entire scale of abuse, right? I'm not talking about the 1% that need to be locked up immediately. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. Because there is no hope for them. They are, mm-hmm. you know, they would be comparable to a dog that's been abused. And every time the dog goes out, he bites somebody or bites a child. You have to, you have to put the dog down. Mm-hmm. Right? There's a scale. I'm talking about the first half. And these men that may not even know that they're. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously. And 6-1 since that matters. And. What do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Starting abusive tendencies because they were abused, because they have such trauma in their life, which is one of the reasons why I was drawn to play the abuser mm-hmm. in It Ends With Us. Because I wanted to understand. And there was also, I think, some healing in there for me, having been in an abusive relationship, mm-hmm. having had my power taken away, um, that I, I wanted to understand. And so my question for the two of you is, what can we do for men? What can we do for a male listener who maybe recognizes, oh, shit, I point out the flaws in my girlfriend. Oh, shit, I'm making her feel insecure. Oh, crap. I feel insecure when she has more power than me. Because I would argue that that is prevalent. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of men are inherently insecure, do not feel enough. Therefore, we compensate. Mm -hmm. And one of the things we do as men, what do we know? We know that, I mean, the the entire patriarchy is built on this premise, right? Mm -hmm. As you've said, the pyramid scheme of the patriarchy and that if we can get more power, we'll feel enough. Where do we try to find power? We try to find power in relationships mm-hmm. with women, mm-hmm. and we exercise power and dominance over relationships with other men, hence bullying and various things like that. So what do we do for the men? How do the men who had trauma in their life protect themselves from accidentally becoming their fathers, their parents, an abuser? And let's say they are an abuser. How do they find help to stop the cycle of abuse? Mm-hmm. Let's start talking to men first about relationships, what they are and what they aren't. 
it is important that we, and this is where I think the field has gone a little bit astray, if I might be a critic of my own. Of my own. The field of... Domestic and sexual domestic, violence, right? Yeah. Starting to talk to men not as if they were perpetrators Correct. of abuse. Mm. Just as a normal guy who's trying to figure out life. Right. Right? And deal with their own. And trying to take that message is really important. We have to find better ways to communicate with young men. Right. It's there's amazing efforts like, you know, you support a call to men and other organizations try to do it through sport and others. But in general, the conversation has to start becoming not only about perpetration, but really about, you know, life. I guess that if you my other piece of advice for anybody else hearing us is if you feel that that is something that you're worried about, you guys talk about it all the time. You start working on yourself, seeing, you know where you are at, things that you need, maybe getting some therapeutic support to deal with some of the issues that you have that are coming to play in your relationship. For example, I was talking, you know, have you witnessed violence, right? How are you, how have you processed that, right? Mm-hmm. Is are, are you processing it in a healthy way or not? A lot of evaluation has to be done by yourself. And I guess the other thing that I have to say, we have to start thinking more proactively in the U.S. and other countries around services mm-hmm. for people who abuse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They have to be of better quality. They have to be attractive. We know that if a man is court-mandated into a program, it's just likely for change to actually happen, mm-hmm. that if he actually looks it for himself. In the U.K., more men disclose to their GP, to their doctor, than any other place what are the doctors doing? What can they do if there's no support services? Those are some bits that are very important for me. Yeah, it's interesting when you talked about going to your doctor because it's now been instituted, I believe, as policy. When I go to the doctor, one of the questions they ask me is, are you are you safe in your relationship? Do you feel safe in your relationship? Mm. I'm not sure they ask it of men. Mm. I don't know. Of course not. I've never, um, never been asked that. Right? I've never been asked that so question. So that to mm. me would be a big, easy thing to do because that opens then a window, right? How, how are you feeling about your relationship? Do you feel like your relationship is healthy? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. The other four-letter word is porn. Oh, yeah. We, we'll have to do a whole episode about mm-hmm. that. And so some of what Pamela's talking about, too, is, you know, people, adults, parents, caregivers, learning to have open conversations with, mm. you know, young men about mm. what a healthy relationship looks like. It just seems like the mm. emphasis is on the wrong syllable, right? Yes. It's like, you know, it's everything is about the response. It's like, we have, yes. we have so many organizations that are there to support women after they've been abused. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And even that is a struggle because that's the world you're in and you're supporting all these organizations. But where do we go to prevent it? You know, it's funny because if you ask the field often, and we had the opportunity to do that when I started working with the NFL a number of years ago, you know, they want to give money. Where should they be giving it? And many times they'll say prevention. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. They, everybody knows you have to fund direct services, but you have to fund prevention. It's just hard. It's you an know, and. It's not an or. Mm-hmm. It's an and. And it's yeah. and it's it's really hard to measure. Like people mm-hmm. will say all the time, you know, since you've been doing this work, have the number of calls to the hotline gone down? You're like, no, they've gone up. That's how you know you're making a difference. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Which is sad. So let's ask the question that we always ask our guests. When was the last time that you didn't feel enough? 
It's such a hard question, that question. <laughs> I thought about this and I think I'm going to give a big shout out to leadership in this space, non-for-profits and so forth. It's hard at moments, you know, when you're trying to do the best that you can to not have those little, you know, bits where you question yourself and say, you know, am I doing enough? Am I enough to pull this issue? Think about like, you know, in our case, it's yeah. domestic sexual violence. It's huge, right? It's like you're pushing. So you have to be able a moment to understand that, you know, it's not your battle alone. And that, you know, yes, the work that you're doing, you know, is enough because there's other billion people outside there also doing the same thing. And so I think, yes, we I struggle a little bit with it, especially around work and especially around mm -hmm. this issue. What about you? What time is it? That's my answer normally. <laughs> yeah. What time is it? Yeah. No, never enough. Hmm. Never enough as a mom, never enough as a business person, never enough as a human, never enough. It's hard. We're talking about doing with that, about, you know, from, from a woman's perspective. Like, you know, it's hard sometimes to, you know, with everything that you're battling, just feeling enough. It's, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's so tied to the issue of domestic violence and, and sexual violence, right, that often those wounds are exploited by abusers and, and abusers know how to exploit those wounds. We spend so much time talking about domestic violence and what it looks like in kind of extreme cases or once it's at a certain point. But it starts showing up in little and, and, and sort of small ways, even in prototypical, you know, quote unquote, healthy relationships. So I'm wondering if you can if you talk about the less expected signs that that, that maybe you're in an abusive relationship. You know, we always say if you went on a first date and someone hit you, you probably wouldn't go on a second exactly. date, right? Yeah. It evolves over time. Yeah. And so things like love bombing, you know, where they're constantly sending you how much they love you and how much through how great you are and gifts and little things that seem great or, you know, are very jealous of other people. And mm -hmm. that seems really nice because someone really just wants to spend all their time with me and they only care about me. And that's so nice. But it is also a way to isolate you from other people mm. and to start to, that grooming process. And how was, how do you tell if you're being love bombed versus if they really like you? Because it's yeah, so because hard what to if, tell. What, you know, <laughs> what if there's a man that just really, yeah. really likes you and yeah. he has spent his life, you know, on on dating apps and all the, and he's like, oh, no, I found my person. I met yeah. my person. Because what I, what, what I want to be mindful of in this conversation is because you guys are the experts in the culture right now. There are a lot of pseudo psychologists online mm -hmm. sharing quote unquote red flags. Mm -hmm. And as an observer, it looks like there are far more red flags than green flags. Mm -hmm. And I feel like if you're dating right now, you're just walking on eggshells afraid you're going to step on a landmine or you're going to hit a red flag. And then you have people that are just trying to not show red flags. But then what happens is the second that there's a quote unquote red flag, the person's like, this is toxic. This right. is problematic. I'm out. And the culture, I believe, is really screwed up Yeah, because you're not able to date anymore. You're just like always on the lookout and your body's in fight or flight and you can't relax. So you're not being your true self. I think first for the relationships, you're you're completely right. We're in an out I, you know, I go into dates and I'll never see you again, right? Like, you know, my ability of shifting is so quick, especially because dating has changed. Yeah. So I think it's important for everybody. I remember having a friend that said, you know, I've had 27 dates in one year, something like that. Well, it's impossible that, right, to try to figure out. That's not out. even that. I'm like, that's not even that much. <laughs> have you had, wait, have you had <laughs> more than 27 sure. dates this year? 100%. So the question is, how much time are you investing in trying to get that person for more than what they present and that 
night, right? Maybe there is more to them. So making sure that we're investing some time on getting to know people, right. really. And then the second stage, to your point, is when are you feeling uncomfortable? When is something mm. starting to make you feel uncomfortable? Uh. So you've dedicated some time to, let's say, this person. You've gone on several dates, but you're starting to do things that are making you feel bad, right? Uh, maybe, you know, they mentioned that you, you don't look that good. And maybe you think, oh, today, that's right. You know, I've had two things that look really funny. Mm. But then they've mentioned that two or three times. Mm. And then you're actually thinking, should I go and look for something that he will like? Yeah. That's the sign of the yeah. manipulation and the abusive behavior. Exactly. It's starting. Yeah. And I think we all need to be, you know, in a way relaxed about it, but yeah. also try to understand. That's why it's so important that we talk about relationships, healthy yeah. relationships. And before this, we're talking with Jane about fear. So, for example, you can see a couple that they're absolutely fighting, right? How many times have you not shouted? We've all shouted, you know, out of throw something, got really angry. But does my husband think that I will hit him? Does he really think that I'll right. throw him something? Does he really think that I'm going to hurt him? He might acknowledge that, you know, we're just having a fight. But is, does he have fear? Yeah. Mm. It's the fear element that makes the relationship turn into an abusive relationship. Mm -hmm. So it's this element really that, that we need those, to. Yeah. I, I like to look at a scale, right? So an equal partnership is an equal partnership, and that's a healthy relationship. But when it's like this, when it's imbalanced, and one person has all the power over the other person, that actually mm -hmm. is the sign that it's a problem. Mm -hmm. I also think back to the love bombing. Are they not respecting your your need for space? Yeah. Right? Are they not looking at boundaries? Because I think boundaries are super important. It's one of the things that I actually also did a TEDx talk and, and talked a lot about establishing boundaries for young kids so that they understand in their friend relationships, right? Not obviously not dating at five or six, not yet. But, you know, what is respect? What's a healthy boundary? What can they expect from friendships? Because that evolves over time. That's mm -hmm. will help them in any environment that they're in, including in relationships. Yeah. And with the love bombing particularly, like, are they giving you a gift for you or are they giving you a gift for, for them? them? Mm -hmm. And again, I think you're, uh, Pamela, what you shared of like checking in internally is so important yes. because on the outside, everything looks perfect in yeah. some of these relationships, right? You're like, and your girlfriends might be jealous of all the things you're getting sent or, you know, your colleagues at work are like, wow, she is such, you know, such a great boyfriend. Yeah. And, but if internally something doesn't sit right, that's the disconnect that you're like, I should be grateful, happy, you know, uh, and, and elated, but, I, but I'm not. And that there's, yeah, they're expecting something in return yeah. mm -hmm. of all of those gifts. And that if you signal, I, I don't want this or just react of oh, thanks, you're not giving them the response that they want. You feel like they can be punishing. Oh, right? yeah. Or even if yeah. if you're not giving them the response they want or, or you don't reciprocate it, they amp it up. Yes. Right. Then it's right. More, then it's clear that it's more for them. But mm -hmm. you really hit on something that I think is really important for everybody who's listening to take into consideration, which is that we shouldn't be getting our validation and our mm -hmm. our social cues for our own in interpersonal dating life and friendships and romantic life from TikTok or from mm -hmm. Instagram mm -hmm. or from Facebook or from news articles. We should be getting it internally. Mm -hmm. We should be self-aware. We should be stopping the scrolling mm -hmm. and asking ourselves, what does this feel like? Yeah. How does my body feel in this moment? Mm -hmm. Like, what is my intuition telling me? Close your eyes, take a breath. What does it feel like? Is he that? Your intuition, I think, will know. Are you afraid? 
Are you feeling uncomfortable? Are you are you are you are you pushing past your limits? Are you afraid to tell him as an example? You know, hey, that's making me uncomfortable mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. giving him the verbal cue to maybe yeah. stop and he doesn't. Mm -hmm. That's really, really important. And I think mm -hmm. that's something that we don't talk about enough. Yeah. Right. Well, trusting your gut, right? If it feels bad, it probably is. That's exactly yeah. What you said, but, but sometimes you don't have the gut, right? Like, meaning like you're right. disconnected from your gut, right? For, I think a lot, and, and I guess, you know, tell because me if I'm wrong. Modeled but, to or, or that's been modeled, it's or normalized. again, I think the, the, the people of all genders, right? It's not just, just women, obviously. People who can become targets for these people are often people who have low self esteem or who are disconnected from their bodies because, you know, that is a dysfunctional childhood. And so when someone is giving you that what feels like unconditional love, you don't have that inner, you know, sort yeah, of radar. Yeah, because it's, it's filling the wound, yes. right? So in the event, like you said, that maybe somebody doesn't have that, maybe somebody doesn't have the ability to reflect and go in and listen to their body, what can they do? How do they avoid ending up in a situation where they're in an abusive relationship, if they don't even have the ability to, to distinguish what's comfortable and uncomfortable? I think it comes down to the education about ourselves, about relationships and how they work. But also something that you said about the kind of impact that people around us have. I remember having this conversation with you mm -hmm. when we started talking about it ends with us around abusers and charm. In many cases, Abusers charm your friends and your family, mm -hmm. and everybody tells you what a great guy mm -hmm. you have. Mm -hmm. So you don't only have to battle yourself yeah. in terms of, yeah, I'm feeling in my gut that this is not right, but everybody else who no cares for me is saying he's so perfect. Yeah. Right. Mm. Right. And so what so do I do? So they must be right because they yes. know me. Yeah. Right. Yes. And so you, it's you, you gaslight yourself you and then you're gaslit by the environment. Yeah. Well, and validation, self-validation is really hard. Yeah. So it takes it. another level of courage to really break the ceiling here. Yeah. And this is why your work is so important. So you know what? I actually, in hearing you guys talk, I take back a, a little bit of what I said, and that um, there is massive importance in getting some education and and validation from. TikTok as an example or social media. 100%. So I think that there's a balance there because what what I'm hearing is for those people, I'm going to say people because in fact all of us here, Jamie, myself and you have all been victims uh, to a certain extent of some form of sexual assault or violence for people who maybe don't have the ability in that moment to self-reflect and identify where in their body it's feeling off, seeing their story. Mm seeing survivors come forward mm -hmm. and share this is what happened to me could actually be the thing that helps them recognize their own patterns and behavior and realize that they're in the situation. Yeah, it so almost it seems always like is that. So, so there's some yeah. sort of balance that's required from, yeah. from knowing yourself and from being able to check in with your body. And also if you don't have the ability, like mm -hmm. you said, to then see the stories, whether it's it ends with us mm -hmm. or whether it's somebody sharing their story on TikTok or whether it's the other work you're doing. So, so it isn't just all or nothing. It, it is somewhere in the middle, and I appreciate that. Yeah. I want to just jump. Yeah. Jamie, you have been creating so much space for everybody, but I know that this is a very um, emotional and uh, painful in some ways, but also um, important topic to you. Um, I'm just curious what your thoughts are. My initial thoughts are it's nice to listen. I'm almost imagining myself being a listener so I can glean um, versus thinking about what I want to say. 
it's it's not often that we have people of your caliber and your nature and the work you do. So I think your voices and what you have to share is so important um, that I don't want to muddy it with yet another host voice. You know, I do have a question. This is something that I could use some clarity on. How do you distinguish a woman who is in a relationship that is being beat down and a woman who is not? A woman that's being raped, a child that's being pinned to the floor versus a child that's being looked at and feeling uncomfortable. The reason why I ask, and my heart's racing as I do it because I don't want to, I don't want to uh, rate. You don't want to diminish any. Diminish. Yeah. But I know as a black man, when I hear of a white person saying that they're experiencing racism, it's tough to hear. <laughs> yeah. And, and yet white people do experience racism or experience stuff that is real. I mean, I, they can't. But well, I mean, not racism, yes, but experience but sure, they experience maybe, prejudice maybe, or something, sure, or who knows yes. where they are. Or I, I'm not judging it, but it feels like it can diminish and belittle. Mm-hmm. I don't know why my heart's racing because I'm I'm afraid that anything that I'm saying could be misconstrued or or I'm in the wrong and I need therapy. As someone that's been um raped, it feels different. Then a friend of someone that I know right now of, of my a child's friend who is understandably raising a loud voice, but who is uh, not experiencing what I would say being abused. It's uncomfortable. We need some course correction. It's not okay. You know? But it's not rape. It's not rape. There are women I see in relationships where the guy has got to be fucking better. But I don't want to label him as an abuser. As the same guy that's holding a woman down or or whatever. Maybe it's not that extreme, you know? Mm-hmm. So long-winded way. And again, I don't want to categorize like one is worse than the other. But it elicits feelings in me. Mm-hmm. I don't know. what do you have? Is there anything that you might be able to share with what I just said? I, I guess that we all see the world from our own set of experiences. I, I you know, I do understand what you mean as a Latino woman that has seen a lot, right? That is, you know, generally sexualized in ways that other women are not or think that we can, in a way, put up with more. I mean, you know, it's just, it's difficult, right, to just even see how my views then will be formed into, oh, God, that's, you know, I put up with that, right? Why are they calling that? So I think that it's very important to try to go to a most neutral place. I'm not a theorist too much, but there it does bring us some solace try to understand the dynamics, right, of control, of abuse, right, and and see how they work, understanding that that dynamic is just not right. It doesn't matter the way that you are seeing it. It really is to the way that people are experiencing it. It has to do a lot where where we are coming from. So it's important to understand ourselves, to judge abuse, in a way, or to see how we deal with it. It's in, in that situation. It's it's quite complex. Mm-hmm. I think everyone experiences their. I mean, I I don't know. I I hear what you're saying. I get what you're saying, but this child experiences it in their own way. 
but I hear what you're saying. I don't know. I don't have a good answer. I don't have a good answer. For you. No, I, I actually, thank you, because I don't even really think there's an answer other than what I have more empathy for, I've grown to learn, is one that's in um, what's not seemingly to be overt abuse. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes will stay quiet because then they'll compare their own experience to I'm not being beaten. Mm-hmm. I wasn't raped yesterday like this one over here. I'm experiencing all of this and it might belittle their own. Mm-hmm. So they never get out of it because they're comparing their experience to one that is most people say, yeah, yeah, put that person away. That's clear. That's mm-hmm. a case shut. For those who are listening, um, what, what's aside from that we always see, if you're being abused, call 1-800 such and such. If you're being molested, call 1-800, which I don't know how many people call, but I never did. How do people who are experiencing that feel safe in calling? What is, is it no more.org? Is it what, what, it, what is the, What are the steps? So people can call the National Domestic Violence Helpline. We also work with an app called Bright Sky that pretty much you put your mm. postcode and it'll tell you where your services that are the nearest to you are. Bright Sky. Um, and Bright Sky. Bright so sky. That, that's, you know, it's quite good. Trying to seek help is important. Sometimes beyond the people around you that might have opinions of what this happened in their life, right? I did put up with a mildly abusive boyfriend or whatever, right? It is important to try. And, and you know, calls are confidential. You tell their story. Mm-hmm. They risk assess you. They tell you, you know, the best things that, you know, can be available for you at any given time. So I can't hardly recommend to anybody, you know, to not go through that route. And millions yeah. of people call is the answer. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Millions of people call. And and, and the, there's always a spike when there is a person who's influential or celebrity yep. that draws yep. attention mm-hmm. to these things. And and so this, you know, us talking about it, you know, right. does, there are people who are listening who might be recognizing, you know, that, that they want to do something. And, 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 and yeah. so stories really matter. And, and yeah. those you know, services are, are really. And is there a way, because thank you for saying that. Yes, of course, millions of people call. I'm actually speaking to so many, like for instance, my inbox is inundated with people when I've shared my story mm-hmm. that reached out to me mm-hmm. that haven't reached out or called a number or called a professional or called a therapist. So that kind of helps me understand also that personal relationships with people, um, you know, and what are some ways that we can, grow that as well um, so that people have safe personal spaces. One of the things that excite me of the It Ends With Us project was the child survivor component. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Huge. If we talk about like how many of us have gone through abusive relationships, the amount of people that have seen abusive relationships, I mean, trifles. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. There's not a lot of support. People keep really silent about it Mm -hmm. because it's not my privacy. Like, I can share my story of abuse, but am I going to share my mother's? Right. Right? It's so difficult. And also because many of them love their fathers if Mm -hmm. the fathers are abusive. Of course. They don't want to out their fathers or or potentially lose their fathers. Mm -hmm. Of course. And, 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 you know, in many cases, you have exactly that, right? The abuse has been perpetrated to one person, not the children directly. They've seen it, so they're your survivors but you know that bond is still there with you know let's say the father in this case yeah so it's it's really important i think for people who are listening to us is if you've seen or witnessed domestic violence as a child how is that going to affect the way that you look at relationships mm-hmm. 
It doesn't mean you'll be an abuser or in an abusive relationship necessarily. No, one thing that I see constantly is I want to be a super father. Yeah. That means that I will stay in a really bad relationship. I might be, I'm just going to be the best mother or father. I will stay in an abusive relationship as a mother Mm -hmm. because I want to make sure my children have, you know, what I didn't have, a a perfect Mm. childhood. So that is... We're all all just overcompensating mm -hmm. for our childhoods. I like to say we're all victims of our parents, whether they meant to do it or not. (sighs) Jamie, on our show, you've been very forthright about how how you feel enough. Your like equilibrium, your balance is like, I'm enough. I'm loved. I'm awesome. God loves me. And yet, you're a survivor. I'm just curious. Maybe there's something that you've done on your journey. Maybe it was about um, the way you were raised. Maybe it's your faith. How did you go from being molested for years, as you've shared on our podcast? How did you go from from being molested to today, just knowing that you're enough and that and knowing that that would never happen to you again. Is there anything that you can? Yeah, I don't know the answer to that. <laughs> um, I know that one of the reasons why I'm grateful for ones like yourselves is I had never talked about it until I was 35 years old. I had no healing or no acknowledgement of it no sorries, no processing. In fact, denial on my part, taking ownership of having sex at eight and nine and 10 and 11 and 12 as if it were mine until I came older and was like, what the fuck? This person, this was not my choice. This happened to me, but I I, I coped by um, not feeling like I was a victim. So I don't know. Sure, my faith, I think being black, raised in a world with a lot of... um, people that weren't in my formative years, I inherently knew that I was not what other people saw in me. So maybe I just knew God gave me the grace to feel like I was enough, irrespective of people telling me I wasn't, including some that hurt me. So I don't know the answer to that. What I know is that there are a lot of people listening that are probably were in my situation now that um, have gone through some traumatic experiences in their childhood or their young adult life and have never shared it with anyone. Don't know how. So let's get granular because I just, I just want to focus on the people who are listening. Where does the man go? Something that's encouraging is in, in Massachusetts, right? We now have a hotline Mm -hmm. where a man can call a number if he feels he is becoming an abuser or if he's losing control or if he's having anger outbursts or if, God forbid, he pushes his girlfriend or mm-hmm. worse, he can now call this number and get help because there's a belief that even a man that does that doesn't want to be doing it. And maybe that man isn't necessarily in complete control. And I want to go back to Jamie. Maybe he hadn't had the chance to heal from the trauma that happened earlier in his life. And because Jamie has been so forthright about his experience, all the damage that you did in your life, Jamie, happened before you healed. Yeah. So up until 35, where you wouldn't even acknowledge that Mm -hmm. what happened happened to you, you were acting out anywhere you could, everywhere you could, without even realizing that that was living inside of you. Sure. And then suddenly, you have this realization, you start your healing process. 
and your behavior changes. Yeah. Nobody wrote you off because you blew up your life before. Maybe some people did, but you've spent the last 15 years earning that back and doing the work. And I just believe there has to be a space for men to do the same thing. Well, can, I, can I ask some clear, for some clarity? If you call somebody racist, they get defensive and now you can't break anything. Mm -hmm. But if you say some of the things you're doing right there have racist tendencies, you know, that right there causes damage in the same way that maybe a racist who's an advocate for it does, that someone can receive more because you're not naming them mm -hmm. and labeling them something. Mm -hmm. I see where you're going with this. So there's a lot of men that's, that do things that are terrible. How do we make a distinction between that and some, and then calling them an abuser? Because or calling them terrible. Yeah, or calling right? them terrible. It's like they might do something terrible versus they're terrible. Mm -hmm. And the reason is so there are people, there's a hotline. How do we get the, the person that doesn't see themselves as an abuser? So they may not call that line, that, but they need help. Course correction, how do we do it early? Like, for instance, with our kids, one of the things I do with mine, my two boys, is when they behave in a way that if they continue that behavior through relationships, that would not be okay. I would never call them an abuser. But honey, you know that behavior, how you're treating the girls at school? This is what leads to this. This is what leads to this. We have to be mindful of that, right? There's conversations of what those acts are are not okay. Um, I mean, by the way, he's se seven. So it's not <laughs> like, you know, but, but when my son was 20, 21, when he was early, the same kind of conversations like that right there, when you even sneak and take like what, like one time he was like nine and he stole something from this girl. I was like, how much respect do you have for this little girl that you would take something from her? If you don't respect her enough to not take something from her, then where does the line stop? You might not respect her to do this, then to whatever, mm -hmm. never naming him something. So how do we do that with men also that might feel safe to say, yeah, you know, sometimes I've, I've yelled at my girl too aggressively. I got up on her too close, never touched her, never did anything, you know, but there was that are safe to say like, yeah, I've done that. I got to work through that. But as soon as we label them abusers, then they're like, no, I'm not that guy. They're never going to even admit to it. That's why I think language has to change. Like the approach, the way they were talking to young men yep. has to change radically. And if you think in the U.S., the word better. Better? It's the better. It's the most commonly term. It's moving slowly to terms like people who abuse or have inflicted, you know, abuse. Using not only, you know, a term like perpetrator, it sounds male intrinsically, right? Right. But just, you know people implicitly means men or women who abuse. I think that that is really important, but it's just a conversation mm -hmm. with young men about what are relationships, how they can confront them. The problem that we had, and you've addressed this so much in the podcast, is not giving the men space to talk about themselves, how they're approaching their relationships. How are they when they're intimate? We talk about the need of whole masculinity revolution, right? Like women and you know, a hundred years have had at least two or three. And men are still fulfilling the same roles than a hundred years ago. Mm -hmm. And if we don't really start saying from a, a young man that really wants to go home and play with their children, right? But that's, you know. Yeah, well, it's actually getting worse. I mean, even I think Robert Bly, the poet, talked about how at one point, I think it was in the 50s, men had 40 extra hours per week to show up. And in the 90s, it was down to 12. Wow. So I imagine... Now we're talking about four, five extra hours a week 
to be fathers, to be husbands. This is an endemic issue. Mm -hmm. I want to drill back, and I'm sorry I keep going back to this. I just want to drill back to where does the man go who hasn't hit his girlfriend? Can I go to other men? Like, go go to other men. And and it comes back to what you were saying, which is like women have been going to other women mm-hmm. forever mm-hmm. and spend so much time reflecting, progressing, changing. And this is where I want men to go to other men and go talk to it about it to other men. And have them held accountable. Yes. That's same the key thing. right there. Yeah. No, I mean, I remember being in a relationship and, and it was started to be physical, but it was not these over. It was, you know, shoving shoving oh you shoving you oh yeah yeah yeah. but i thought you know during an argument where i thought i you know it's my fault i did something bad are you comfortable sharing a little bit about your story yeah it it was uh, several years ago and what i was told by even some of my friends was like wow i can't believe someone as strong as you you know it's like the rihanna clip that diane sawyer interview people were surprised that someone like rihanna could be a, a victim i was in a relationship that had all of the now looking back all of the facets of a classic controlling relationship, but it didn't start with physical abuse because it almost never does. I wasn't allowed to have my own bank account. That was like an entire fight. Like I have a degree in gender studies and like was a public facing person that really cared about feminism and and had read a lot about feminism. And even within my own relationship, it it becomes like easier not to argue. Mm -hmm. Right. And it becomes easier to let them control the things they want to control. The jealousy feels like love. There was, you know, monitoring and controlling how much makeup I would wear. But it was always these little, right, it's Mm. these little comments pointing out something about my face that I still think about that he had pointed out, even though he thought I was the most beautiful woman in the world. I never felt that loved, right? Why am I insecure about about my body? So he would like, he would tell you you're the most beautiful woman in the world and then he would tell you something to make you feel insecure. Yeah, or he was like, oh yeah, it's like you're, I have Invisalign now, I guess, so I don't really have it, but I had this like tooth, but I didn't even notice it. He was like, yeah, it's like your little tooth sticking out. Like, I love it. Mm. As if, like, I love you so much that I love this bad thing about you. And I was like, wait, what's wrong with my tooth? Right? So it's it's so That's sophisticated. It's yes. the negative compliment. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's so hard to... And the thing that I really think is important is that 90% of an abusive relationship is often great. Like, not in all cases, but in my case. It was wonderful. And then that 10% is awful. And you internalize it, right? Mm. My my experience was I'm just a really bad girlfriend. And if I was a better girlfriend, then these things wouldn't happen. Mm. And so that internal, right? Like, how do you feel when you're with that person? How do you feel about your body when you're with that person are really important cues. And then it got, you know, physical, you know, I ended up, I mean, we were t- spent time apart, but then anyway, there's so much like to say about it. But then once it got so clearly physical, I ended up telling my friends, which I thought was really, they kept me accountable because I was going to go back and be like, we share a lease, like living in New York. Like, it's just like hard, like little things will make you go back. Right. And I'm really, really so thankful to my friends for having held me accountable throughout of it, through, uh, through, through it. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think it's easy to look at someone like Liz Plank and go, well, that would never happen to her. Sure. I mean, you are so smart and so strong and so aware and emotionally intelligent that it's 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 like oh, there's no way there's there's no way that mm-hmm. and so if it happened to you, it can happen to anybody. Yeah. And I think that like you sharing your story is so important 
because there's probably so many women who feel like they're broken and men who are listening, um, that there's something wrong with them for falling into Mm -hmm. that trap. Mm -hmm. But you sharing that allows them to feel like they're not alone. So thank you. Thank you for saying that. And I don't think he would have thought that he would be in that situation or be in the like an abusive person. There's so much commentary around like, why did she why did she stay? You know, why? Why? Why don't why doesn't she leave? And I remember thinking to myself, like abusers who stay in relationships where they are physically harming the person that they claim to love the most, like, why are they staying in that relationship? Right? Like, I think that we need a reframing Mm -hmm. of these conversations around, you know, why would a man? (laughs) Well, it's like, it's like saying she was raped versus yes, like he raped her. And, and, And what can men do when they're starting to see because I, I do think there could have been, I mean, he was a victim of abuse as, from his father. And I don't think he ever thought he would turn into his father. But like, what are the so, sort of signs where you, that, that men, you know, can, can sort of look out for in themselves before it escalates? But before we go there, can I just say, you sort of stole half my line, which is the wrong question is, why didn't she leave? The right question is, why is he abusing her? Yeah. Right? That's the question. Why is there abuse? Yeah. And I think that... He didn't see himself as an abuser, did he? Nope. Nope. He saw uh, anyway me as uh, that I was bringing out the violence in him. Right. And it's about power and control. <laughs> wow. It's about yeah. power and control. So yeah. why did they stay? They stay because they're uh, they're allowed, they're enabled to exert the power and control over something in their lives that they need to be able to control. Mm. In this case, it was you. For me, it's thank you so much for sharing. For me, it's, you know, something that happens very commonly is what you said, right? of it was good, 10% was bad. And so there is a myth that goes around Mm -hmm. that every relationship is a bit bad. Like you have to put up with some stuff, right? Is that the 10% that I should put up with? Mm. And right, am I just being too picky? And how bad is bad, right? Until it starts getting, in a way, out of hand and you really realize. And and by that time, some time has already passed. Yes. So that's, you know, and I guess the other bit that I, this is where I think we should be, you know, talking a bit more and just opening the conversation is around love. Yeah. Right? We don't talk enough about love and what love makes us do in terms of the, you know, why somebody stays or leaves. There's a host of reasons why people stay and leave. In many cases, when we talk about why didn't she leave, it's like so many sort of like victims can't, mm-hmm. right? right? And we, we, we create shelters for women who are victims of violence when we should be creating shelters for men who are violent. Why is she leaving her home? Yeah. Why is she, she's already going to be in a precarious financial situation and she's leaving, he gets to stay and well, he's the one being violent. It's like violent. the phenomenon member after the young woman in England was killed, Sarah. Yes, Edward. And, and how they, the, <laughs> they put a curfew on the city mm-hmm. for women. And they said, if you were a woman, it's not safe for you to go out. Yeah. Why? Because the men are dangerous because this woman was just raped and killed by a man. And so they said, women need to stay in while the men were free to roam yeah. the yeah. fucking city. Yeah. Put a curfew on men. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I know Jane actually started a campaign. Please talk about that. Well, wait, uh, which campaign? I was going to say we had a whole conversation over dinner last night. Actually, we did about it because there are cases where people don't necessarily want to leave. They don't want to end the relationship, but they just want X aspect of the abuse to stop. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm willing to take X, Y, and Z verbal abuse. I just don't want to be hurt anymore. Mm-hmm. And Pamela disagreed with me. Yeah. Are you saying that? 
you're compassionate, or I'm sure everyone's compassionate, but understanding and supportive of relationships where maybe the woman is making the choice to stay because um, she's fine with the verbal manipulation or abuse, but she just doesn't want to get hit. And so they come to you and they say, hey, how do I make the hitting stop? Because I want to stay because maybe it, maybe they have the a family, maybe father, they have financial support, all of it. And she loves him. And That's Pamela's him. point, right? That people yeah. always say, why didn't she leave? Lots of different reasons, but everyone forgets that they got together because there was love. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that doesn't necessarily change, sadly. If, you know, if there's abuse, there's still there can still be love. And you just said it was 90% of the relationship yeah. was good. And that the worst part mm. for me <laughs> was actually not the physical violence. It was the emotional one. Yes. And that, and there's studies on, on this, right? That often the emotional scars are more deep and longer lasting yeah. on survivors. And that part of that emotional Violence is what paves the way for the physical violence to exist and to continue and for the person inside the relationship to think that they can change their partner, mm -hmm. to think that they can fix the situation, to sort of break you down mm -hmm. <laughs> so that you think it is your fault, that you need to do something about it, and that no one else will ever love you, right? Mm -hmm. No one else will ever love you in the way that this person loves you. And and so that emotional web, I think, is, is so... And what makes it really hard is that you, there are no bruises. Mm. And and the, the mm. for, for, I was almost glad. I'm, I, looking back, I'm glad he got physical because that was for me. I was like, I now am, I cannot, you know, deny what's going on. Yeah, you're, this not, is, you're not crazy at that yes, point. Yeah. I'm not crazy. And like, it, it's, this is bad. I do feel like we don't, we don't talk about the way that the, the types of coercion are sort of used and, and, and again, that it feels like love, but it's. It's that they make you not love yourself, right? Like that's also it. That it's not just that you love them. You don't love you're 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 not you don't love yourself when you're with them. It's so complex. Yeah. And people want it to be so black and white. Like yeah. he hits, you leave. Yes. He's mean to you, you right. leave. And it's just not. Relationships are messy. They just mm -hmm. are. They're mm -hmm. always messy. Just and then I'm gonna leave it to Pamela. But mm. one thing that you said that really stuck with me is that, you know. I don't know if you were in the relationship when you got Invisalign or after the relationship when you got <laughs> yes. Invisalign, right? And that you still wow. think about what he yeah. said now to this day yeah. when you're putting makeup on or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. Survivors yeah. come to us all the time. It's it's like the most frequent, you know, aspect that they tell us is, you know, the psychological damage is with me today. Yeah. That black and bruise, that left yes. ages ago, exactly. right? And I don't even remember how the pain or how it felt, but I still look at myself in the mirror. I'm still not enough. And I'm moving into another relationship feeling half myself. Yeah. Right? And so there's a lot of controversy yeah. also about, you know, do people move into another and then abusive relationship? And if they're feeling half themselves, then that is, right. that is just that they're primed and ready for someone to come in and take yeah. advantage of them. Right. Because it's so complex, we are, this Domestic Violence Awareness Month, we're putting up a site where people can go in and share stories, but you can also kind of tag terms and see stories that are similar than yours in a safe space. Yeah, wow. That's actually a great segue into, you know, what would have happened if your ex early on yeah. went to another man? Oh, my God. I mean, he went to other men for confirmation that Correct. he wasn't, right? That is important. For, Hold on. This is very important okay. what you just said because uh, I've seen it in women and I've seen it in men where you go to your friends 
for validation that you're right. So let's just tell men now, look, you've got a lot of friends around you that are your yes men that will, that will support you and throw her under the bus or just have your back. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. You already have them. (laughs) Wonderful. You need those friends in your life. Fine. I'm not going to judge you. Find one friend that will challenge you Mm -hmm. and tell them what you're going through. Mm -hmm. One friend that, you know, I'm sure you know someone in your life that'll be like, bro. Yeah. Yeah. We need to talk about that Mm -hmm. so that you have a fair balance so that you yourself can be better. In fact, I have a friend now, dear friend, who's going through something with his wife. His wife called me and told him, you need to go to Jamie and this group of friends over here to talk about this issue. So, but she called us because she knew that we would be the ones that would hold him accountable, Mm -hmm. love him and hold him accountable and not just um, do the other. I think we need more men to yeah. turn to and, men. And to do their twelve step programs, right? Like in, in my case, things would be physical when he would be drinking. And like mm. what if he had gone to a twelve step program? Not that I would still want to be with this person necessarily, but but for him, right? Like there there are men's groups for Al Anon, right? Family members of alcoholics. If you grew up in a dysfunctional home where you were abused, there are even twelve step programs for people steps. who have narcissistic personality right. disorders and who are who are you know abusing. Go to men's groups. Yeah, men's groups that don't have to do with anything with the twelve step programs. I mean, they're find support. You got a phone call from a friend of yours who admitted to being really hard on his wife. And kind of being mean to her in some ways. Right. And he called you for support because he knew you would be honest with him. Yeah. And you made the choice to not label him an abuser. You didn't make him feel guilty. You didn't make him feel shameful. You saw maybe why he was doing it yeah. and you lifted him up and you gave him the chance to be better. And I think that yeah. is what I'm hearing collectively that we need yeah. to be doing here. And and the, the other thing that I want to say is having been in situations, as an example for me, in struggling with porn, when I would feel guilty and shameful, it would actually make me want to then go punish myself and look at it more, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And it's one of the reasons why on our podcast, you've never heard us say the words toxic masculinity. Mm -hmm. We are not attacking men. No. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that it's important that if you see this in yourself or if you see the potential early signs that maybe you could be going in that direction, if you do come from a house that you witnessed domestic abuse or something happened to you that was so traumatic and if it did, I'm so sorry, that you don't label yourself that because you have to be willing and open to see that you're also amazing and beautiful and that you're worthy of love and being loved. Mm-hmm. Can I challenge yes. you as Wayfarer? Yes, please. Please. Show me the media that does that. Show me that story because I haven't seen that story. I've seen the story of the women who get yeah. help and, and as they should. But where's the story of the man who does the work? Yeah. Right? Well, let's develop it together. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. I think that there needs to be. And that's very controversial, that. by, the, by the way. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Very, very. You got to like frame that and say that really delicately, right? Because of how controversial right. it can be. But, but there is also this movement that you can't just throw men away. Right. Right? And, and that... <sighs> Not all men are abusers, and I agree with everything you're saying, but all white people who grew up in, in a racist society will demonstrate racism or actually, I think, are racist unless they unlearn it. If we are going to exist in heterosexual partnerships, men and if men want to be happy in those partnerships, they have to unlearn the patriarchal learnings yes. that have been, you know, that they've been brainwashed with. Right. And that that if you are a man growing up in a patriarchal society, those and that's what that phone call was. Right. This is my yeah. my really good friend. That's like, why is this 
why is this happening to me? I'm becoming the guy that you write about in your books and I don't want to be that guy. Mm -hmm. And I know he's not that guy, but he's, he's acting like that guy. Mm -hmm. So I I, I think, yes, like acknowledging that I think is, is really, really crucial. And you have to do work in order to not be. (laughs) The system facilitates it. Yes, exactly. The system facilitates it. Yes. That's That's a tough one for me. Embrace fully. Yeah. I'm happy to be wrong. I want to be wrong. I do not think white people are racist. We're all drinking and and breathing the same air. So no matter what, you can't get away with it. If you're breathing the air of racism, which is our country, it's you know built on so much, of course, you cannot help but be impacted by the air you breathe. And then therefore, we'll have tendencies and a lot of unlearning to do and a lot of course correction to do. I then would not say that unless they don't do this, therefore, all white people are racist. I don't believe that statement. I also don't believe that men, even though we are raised in a patriarchal system and are and, and have to unlearn so much, I don't think inherently we are abusers. And drinking that Kool-Aid and breathing in that air will then turn all men into abusers unless we unlearn. I think that's a, a that's something hard for me to embrace. It is but I hear that but I but I hear the point that's being said. I just also am careful so that some it doesn't feel like we're to me, shaming white people or men. To me, feels that feels like freedom, and and for me on on again race, it was so helpful actually for me to learn that that I was like right okay I don't have to prove that I'm good and I'm different. No, like that's the factory setting, and. And What's the factory setting? The, the factory setting is the society that that we live in, right? It's racism, it's sexism, it's ableism, right? There's so many isms and and ways that I've engaged in racism that I don't even know, right? Sure. And and I guess my my point is like, I notice when I'm in a relationship with a man that is just conscious in the relationship with me and conscious in his relationship to gender and the gender dynamics. Because if you're unconscious, the gender dynamics are going to exist because they're all over, you know, they exist in every layer of society through policy, through institutions, everything. And so if you're not conscious of it, Sure. And not perfect, right? Of course, of course. But conscious. Right. I think that those are the guys that, to me, in this culture and this moment in time, are doing the best. Agreed. Or, or feeling I, the best in their relationships. The problem is, I, for me, is it's not that men, all men are abusers in terms of the system. The problem is that it makes very likely that if I'm a man and go to another friend to get its point of view on something, the answer that I'm going to find yes. is right. one within the system. Sure. And that is where everything kind of works, you know, around it. Men who are most successful in these programs really think about everything they are losing. They might be losing their children, their house, the woman they love, their economy, everything for a set of behaviors that actually... If they, they put don't the even time, like, yeah. they, they don't, don't even like, they don't like how they feel when they abuse. <laughs> exactly. Right? Yeah. So there's another conversation really about you are about to lose everything yeah. mm. that you have. And what is the consequence of that? A, you obviously deserve this. You've caused a lot of harm. You've caused trauma. Yeah. And you're losing everything. Yeah. And I think that is a more human yeah. approach to this conversation than just, you know, you're a perpetrator of abuse and, yeah. you know, and, and you should be, be in prison. Because also I think that the extreme racists, the extreme abusers 
are actually not the ones that are hurting society as much. We can identify that person and we put them away or you, no mm-hmm. one's really trying to model Ted Bundy. Mm-hmm. It's the general people, those of us who are not me, I do not believe that I am um, a sexist abuser throughout my entire life of women. And yet I know for sure I've done things that have not helped the cause of women mm-hmm. that have, that have hurt people. I know I have, I had to have, mm-hmm. I have, can do more damage to women than generally because it's covert. Yeah. It's just, it just slips with under the radar. You don't really see it. No one names it. I don't feel like I have to course correct. So a lot of men who are operating in that way, we actually can do more damage. Yeah. This is some of the lessons I've tried to teach my kids. Like, yeah. you, you don't have to be this terrible person. You can just be a good, decent person. And if you're missing the mark by a little bit, mm-hmm. and all of your friends, all of your friends, then our society is really going to suffer more because of our threes and fours versus the people that are doing nines and tens. Mm-hmm. So it's important that we recognize it. If you think about all the ways in which we name sex, this is an exercise we do with John boys. <laughs> They're almost all violent, violent. Yeah. in nature. Smash. Yeah. Cloud. <laughs> Pound. Hit that. Destroy. Bang. Everything contributes as part yeah. of that system, right? That enables the kind of violence to be normalized. And if, you know, say, oh, I, I banged a girl yesterday. Yeah. It's like, yeah, mate. High five. Right? Why and would we say that? Why would we? <laughs> Where did that come from? Why did we say I banged her? What? I mean, listen, li- li- her. listen to hip hop right now. It's like it's not just hip hop. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to blame it on hip hop. It's it's in our culture. Yeah. Oh, it's yes, of, it's everywhere. My God. Sorry, it's just when I hear it, I know it's. Right. Why don't we say? I mean, there's so many other terms we I can made say. Love. <laughs> yeah. Well, Marvin Gaye got it right. What do you say? Well, just some of his some of his music is. It's a little more oh, it's like romantic. love-making music, romantic, yeah. So many people get it right, Mike. Let's mm-hmm. get it on. Can you do that, mm-hmm. Jamie? Can you do it? <laughs> <laughs> it's really sickening that we use those terms. And I've used them growing up. Oh. Every time we put yeah. a new group of boys, I learn another word that yeah. I've never heard. Wow. That surprises me it's every time. changing. Oh, my God. And it's more violent it's a system that we keep on enabling. But do you think people are saying it to be violent, though? Or has it just become a, a word, a term that's just a verb? Don't think know, about so it. like yeah. a 10-year-old kid, 12-year-old kid hears it and is like, yeah, I hit that. They don't not think about it as they're violent. Thinking aggre- they're not thinking no, they're not thinking about it. I mean, even us, I mean, even right now people are hearing us. Maybe they've never thought about it. Yeah. But it's just the system in a way mm-hmm. that yeah. enables the kind of little things that we don't see that are happening, but actually are. But and don't have the pause. And it's why you need more conversations like this because the the million people that you impact, you want them to go impact another million and to impact exactly. another million, yeah. right? And so there's this flow yeah. and that's what we're really looking for. We always yeah. say if one man listens to this show mm-hmm. and changes the way that he treats his girlfriend or mm-hmm. his wife or his sister or his mother, we could never quantify the change in the world that can come from that one man. And the little things. Like, again, I notice men who are conscious because they refer to women as women. Mm-hmm. They don't say this girl I dated. They say this woman I dated. Mm-hmm. They don't refer to women as chicks, which, again, that's not, you know, you're an abuser, you know. But it's little things, right? The the way and, and the small shift 
that I think is contagious to other men, right? Like, mm-hmm. and so no, no act is, is too small for, again, people who are listening, like those small changes just in the way that you talk about women or that you talk about yourself with women can make a big difference. Well, that, that brings us to our final question, Liz. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what does it mean to be man enough? For me to step up and do the correct thing when you know. And a fantastic example is just some of the bystander interventions that we have seen that have literally saved women's lives mm-hmm. because somebody, you know, man knew, was informed, didn't agree. I remember like the Gabby Petito case, unfortunately, how it ended. But if you think about it, it was a man somewhere in a coffee shop that saw the van and mm-hmm. called the police. Mm-hmm. He stepped up and he did the right thing. He was mm. man enough. Mm-hmm. Yep. And Jane, you have kids. I do. Is one of them a boy? All three of them are boys. So if one of your sons said to you, hey, mom, what does it mean to be man enough? For me, it's showing vulnerability and being able to show yourself and be vulnerable because I think it's an important way to relate to the world. (laughs) You know, if you're always too tough, then you don't feel. Mm. So for me, it's their their willingness to show vulnerability. My husband is really good about all of that. We didn't have to teach our kids. They just sort of were. They were all really kind, empathetic people, which is really what, Mm. you know, what more can you ask for? And they're adults. But I think it's being, because I've done a lot of work with Tony and Ted and A Call to Men. And Tony and I do all the work for the, do a lot of work with the NFL. And just being able to, to be vulnerable. And when I watch them give these education sessions to these big football players, you know, and you see these guys come on and talk and are, are mm. and show their own vulnerability. That's huge. And that yeah. says a lot. Mm. Thank you. And I just, based on what you said, I just want to say one thing to, to any male listener, kind of echoing back to what our friends at Occult of Men have said over and over again and what you guys say. Violence against women can only happen if those of us men who are not committing that violence, allow it to happen. Which means that it's on you, it's on us. If we know that the majority of violence, gender-based violence happens at the hands of men, if we are the problem, then that also means men that we are the solution. So it's on us to hold other men accountable. It's on us that if we hear anything that's slightly off in Mm -hmm. in the language when we're around our brothers, to do as Jamie does all the time, to call that man in and to let him know that's not okay. And if we have a sneaking suspicion that a man that we know is in our circle or God forbid we're friends with is doing something that could harm a woman, it's on us to make sure that ends, to make sure that we make a phone call, to, to, to make sure that we, that we go to the woman and check on her and directly confront that man. Thank you all so much. Yeah. Will, hey, Thank will you guys you. come back yeah. when the film comes out? Maybe sure. we can do a special episode. Love sure. to yeah. be break it all down. I think that would be that would be amazing. Yeah, you really made us think. Uh, you too. <laughs> you made so. us think. Yeah, and, and I can I just add also. I, I appreciate being able to. There was a moment in this where my heart was racing fast. Mm. Yeah, because it's a, such a delicate conversation when we talk about this stuff. Um. And you don't want to then say it and then say the wrong thing. And then all of a sudden you're canceled or you don't have a voice yeah. anymore in this. Re- and 
there has to be, of course, spaces where you can share a truth. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It might not be popular. It might be wrong. Maybe you need some course correction in how you think, but how can you get the course correction if you, unless you can share it? Correct. So I appreciate being able to have the conversations because I'm reflecting like, oh, did I say what I meant? Did I mean what I say? Did I hear Liz correctly? Did I belittle what Liz was saying by saying that someone mm. else, you know, all of that. And yet I'm glad that we can have the conversation. I want any how... white person to say to me, hey man, I think this, and it can be wrong. I can say, dude, <laughs> you're thinking something that's not cool. We got to course correct you in that way. I don't want him not to say it because else what he learn. So Correct. I want us to yeah. always have, be able to we, have that We don't want to get into a place in our culture and society where we're afraid to ask the questions that could actually lead to our growth. Mm -hmm. Correct. And I am, I am a little worried that we're getting there. And I'm I, and I, and I applaud there. you for your bravery constantly. You're always showing us what it looks like to be brave and to ask those questions. And I'm grateful for everybody here at the table who creates that space for us to ask those questions and for our listeners, because we got to be curious, mm -hmm. y'all. We have to ask questions. We have to be striving to grow and be the best versions of ourselves possible. And we have to be willing to make mistakes and say the wrong thing every once in a while because we're human. Thank you guys Indeed. so thank much. You. Thank you for doing this work. It's so yeah. damn important. And Liz, thank you, for, thank you for sharing so honestly today. Yeah. I know that wasn't easy and I, and I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening, creating space for it. Yeah. I'm so grateful for this for the show and for this work and for mm -hmm. all of you. I love mm -hmm. you guys. If you were moved by what you mm -hmm. heard, if it resonated with you and you liked the way that we have conversations, then please listen to the other 90-something episodes. <laughs> and where, where can they find us, Liz? Manenough.com slash podcast. And wherever you get your podcast, it's free on Apple, on Spotify, and other platforms. Yeah, and if you see Jamie on the street, go up to him and, uh, yes. and tell him how great he is. <laughs> Can I look at the camera and say something to Justin <laughs> yeah. right now? Hey, I'm just trying to bring the sugar and the sweet and do it at the end. Wow. I uh, do not need to be recognized. Because but. he's enough. Yeah. You yeah, know what? He doesn't do it to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll see you next time. I'm Justin Baldoni. I'm Liz Plank. I'm Jamie Heath. And this is Man Enough. Thank you for listening to the Man Enough podcast, produced by Wayfair Studios and presented by Procter & Gamble in partnership with Cadence 13, an Odyssey company. Hosted by Justin Baldoni, Liz Plank, and me, Jamie Heath. If you like what you heard, please follow us and tune in weekly as we undefine masculinity and learn in real time. Justin Baldoni, Jamie Heath, and Tara Maholtra Feinberg from Wayfair Studios, Mark Pritchard and Anna Saufeld from Procter & Gamble, and Chris Corcoran from Cadence 13 are our executive producers. Kayla Nicholson is our producer. Ashmi Elizabeth Dang is head of marketing. And Susie Landers O'Connell is our lead editor. Thanks for listening.